and welcome today. You've made it to Conspiracy History Podcast. Today's a special day. We are joined by our dear friend, Ray. Ray, how are you doing today? I'm very well. How are you today, Dan? I am fantastic. Fantastic. I, uh, I woke up to my neighbors doing construction at a very early hour. So, you know, feeling really peppy and well-rested. Always a good time. Always a good time. Why are you hammering at 7 a.m.? Huh? It was a conspiracy against my sleep. Right. I was going to say my neighbors um, came over to, to let me know there was a loud noise. But thank God I was up at 3 a.m. playing my drums. <laughs> Doorbell did not bother you at all. All right. Well, uh, Ray is joining us today to tell us about uh, a conspiracy that I am completely ignorant of. Uh, apparently it, it, an art heist at the Gardner Museum, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, the Elizabeth Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. It's a pretty well-known art museum, uh, although it has its own quirks uh, as an American museum. And uh, it's a famous heist. It happened in 1990, and there have been enormous amount of research done. There's a lot of interesting things, twists and turns. And it's like I said, it's very famous. It's covered everywhere. Okay, so this this happened while I was alive. Yeah, actually, I was in art school. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I remember 1990. Ooh. Okay. All right. So um, Boston Art Museum, Elizabeth Stewart Gardner Museum. Is this like large enough to have elementary school field trips going there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is... um, so it's one of these enormous classical art collections. Um, it's full of like Rembrandts and Degas and it's covered in sculptures and all kinds of stuff. And it was a privately built foundation and it's in a big giant castle and it's been there for not forever, but for a long time. And um, it's it's kind of a staple. You know, there's a Gardner's History of Art, Art History book, lots of things that you would see in if you were part of a local grade school or going to an art college nearby. Okay. If you were a tourist in Boston that liked art, you would definitely visit this museum? I think you would visit this museum. This would not be your number one museum. This would be for reasons that become apparent, I think, a little bit if you delve into its history. It is less of a tourist destination um, or has could have been maybe before this big heist. It's more of a local, it's more of a local viewing spot and it's definitely globally famous and this type of place you would go if you were an art student visiting Boston. But I think if you were a regular person going to Boston, you said I wanted to see some museums, this might not be in your top two or three places to go. Okay, but this heist may have elevated it for some folks. I have suspicions. Yes, there are suspicions. All right. So tell us more about this heist. What did they steal? How did they steal it? Walk walk me through. I am literally ignorant of this story. Let me tell you the story of the heist. It's the day after St. Patrick's Day or the middle of the night after St. Patrick's Day in 1990. So it's 1.24 in the morning. Uh, Yes. A famously quiet, a famously quiet festivity in Boston. Famously (laughs) quiet night in Boston. Yeah. And um, so this this is the most exciting 81 minutes in the history of the Gardner Museum. Two gentlemen dressed as Boston police officers wearing fake mustaches mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Ring the bell and are admitted by the two <laughs> college students employed as night watchmen. Okay. The college students are notorious stoners who have done things in the past, like throw psychedelic parties in the basement while on the job. All right, wait, wait, wait. So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Okay, so so the two guys watching the museum at night are a couple of A, college students, B, drug-using college students, C, party-throwing drug-using college students who are willing to throw a party at the museum. Yes, they they have thrown psychedelic mushroom eating music concerts in the basement of the Elizabeth Stewart Garden Museum. I told you the museum is not necessarily a very visited tourist location. You can get away with a lot there and in the middle of the night, you know. (laughs) And some guys ring the doorbell. They All they do is ring the doorbell. Like, that's their credentials. We've got a uniform and we rang the bell. <laughs> Can't you see our cop mustaches? They, they, they twist their fake mustaches <laughs> and they say, we're obviously Boston police officers and um, we, we need to talk to you guys about an alarm that went off on the grounds. So they let these police officers in, big air quotes there. And um, the police officers proceed to tell the college students that they have warrants out for both students and they are under arrest both of you under arrest <laughs> which which is plausible uh, you know it's hard so this is a question do the do the entering art thieves know that it's plausible that the college students could be in a heap of shit and they or is it just a wild guess oh, right right it's hard to know <laughs> so so they 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 frisk them they cuff them and then they wrap their heads in duct tape Around the eyes, and the, so I'm, I'm assuming at some point the night watchman realized that normally when you're being arrested, you're not put in a duct tape helmet. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Duct tape over the eyes doesn't usually happen till after I'm at the station. Uh, you think the police come and rescue you from those types of situations? <laughs> it was at this point Jeff got suspicious. Yeah, actually, the um, the one fellow, the the uh, one, they were both music students. Um, said that at some point he started hearing Mozart's Requiem in his head and failed until many years later to realize that that may have been an indication he thought he was going to die. <laughs> so these were not the best, these were not the best music students either, I think. Okay. Um, when your subconscious is telling you something that obvious, you have to wonder. So they take these guys to the basement, chain them to some uh, water pipes down there and just go on a ransack. They hit the museum for, at the time, was $500 million, so half a billion dollars worth of Whoa. Rembrandts, Vermeers, Degas, Manets, and then two very perplexing items. One was a bronze eagle finial, which is the, the thing that goes top of the flagpole, uh, dated to the reign of Napoleon I, and a Chinese vase, which was bolted to a table. So two weird items, but a bunch of famous um, European Renaissance art. $500 million of mm-hmm. art yeah. in 1990 would be one, $1.1 trillion of art. Actually, it would probably be more than that. Well, no, no, for not, not just in Europe, but you're looking at this from the perspective of someone who studies the money market. Um, it's worth more than that because of what was stolen. And what that does to valuation in the fine art market. Rembrandt, Vermeer, Degas. It's not just money inflation. You have to add art inflation. 
Yes, you have to add art inflation. Holy shit. Okay, you're right. I'm looking at this from the wrong perspective. That's awesome. This is a priceless art heist. Wow. Okay, okay. so this is... Um, okay, if it was just money, it would be $1.1 trillion. So we're talking at least $1.5 trillion more, maybe I mean, more it's, in art today. How much money is in Saudi Arabia? Because that's kind of the question at the end of all of this. How much money is there in Saudi Arabia? Oh, shit. Okay, okay. What? Right. So these guys, these cops twirling tightly whiplash mustaches. Okay, okay. So fake mustachioed police. They leave. It's 2.41 a.m., okay? The stoners are in the basement until okay. 8 a.m. the following morning when the next group of of employees comes in. Just, just duct tape. Singing, listening to Requiem in their head. Yeah. <laughs> to res- respectfully, I want to say this respectfully. I have this in my notes. It says respectfully. They were down there for like hours after a traumatic experience and they had both pissed their pants. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I, I mean, this is a scary thing, but from their point of view, for sure, for sure. I mean, it's funny looking back because no one got hurt. And that's always um, what happens in slapstick comedy. You know that no one got hurt, so you can laugh. Um, but I think sometimes we laugh because we're relieved. Yeah. So um, so there's a couple things about the Stuart Gardner Museum that are odd. And those are important to know about this story. Mm-hmm. And so is how art theft works and how why would you steal art? What is the benefit for that? So Elizabeth Stewart Gardner was basically like, she's a socialite monster of the very worst kind. Um, her father, the founder. The woman who this art museum is named after, the woman, the woman whose name it bears was a socialite monster, like a, like a mean girl bitch. Yeah, like a mean, like a, like a turn of the century. But she built her own art museum. Yeah, she built her own art museum. She's a turn-of-the-century mean girl bitch. Um, think of everything you think about rich people in the 1890s. This is her, okay? she's She really takes the cake on this. And this is one of my favorite things about the Gardner Museum is just how gross she is generally. So her father was an investment magnet, and she was so she was already loaded. And she married a gentleman named John Gardner, who was an heir to the Peabody family. Mm, yes, the Peabody's famous... Famous Peabody Awards people, right? Oh, Peabody Award. I thought I was thinking Sherman and Peabody from Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, I wish. That's my fault. I guess. Because I said Stanley Whiplash earlier. The famous detective time traveling dog. I truly truly wish it it was just Dr. Peabody. Yeah. The endowments, the arts endowments, Peabody family. Yes. So she starts hoarding art. Um, yes, Sherman, here's my art museum. Notice all the fine art throughout all time. Yes, actually, it's. Um, we should make a cartoon of that. Anyway, Elizabeth Stewart. So she, so she hoards art. <laughs> she hoards art for a number of reasons. She doesn't have any children, uh, which is not good for women in the early 1900s. She's, um, she has a couple of stillbirths. Their only surviving child dies at age two. And so she throws her mm. enormous fortune into hoarding fine arts. She has not got any heirs to pass this down to. So to preserve her family name, she will build a museum. Okay. So she's got all the money in the world, no heirs to give that money to. And it's on between her and the art world. Hates adoption. Absolutely cannot stand adoption. Well, I don't even know if they had adoption back then. I don't know. <laughs> Not really sure how it worked that long ago. Uh, there were no orphans in 1900. Um, I think you just took orphans <laughs> off the streets. 
like Oliver <laughs> Twist snatched them, snatched them off of the corner <laughs> where they were selling newspapers or shining shoes. I don't know. And she she just she just couldn't find one that was good looking enough for her. So go, we'll go the art museum route. Yeah. So she she goes to bid for a lot of paintings um, at auction. Um, famous auctioneers that you still know, Sotheby's and all of these um, big auction houses. She outbids both the Louvre and the National Gallery on several occasions, including for one of the paintings that gets stolen in this 1990 heist. Oh, wow. It's quite a shame to both the Louvre and the National Gallery because Elizabeth Stewart Gardner takes her art and locks it in her house and doesn't allow anyone else to see it. Right, right, right. She's that She's that kind of person. I'd like to say I'm sure she was lovely in person. If you're lucky at one of her parties, she might show you. Yes. You will only see it by invite to her party. And you must, I'm sure, you know, flagellate yourself or mm. worship at her feet to get access to these to these works. The the one that she uh the the Rembrandt that she outfit the Louvre for was Rembrandt's only known seascape. Only one of its kind in the world. Oh wow. And she was like, take that, put it in your pipe and smoke it. So she decides she's gonna build an art museum. Oh my so she God. she was just like the pharma bro dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's really bad. Martin Screlly, yeah, she's the Martin Screlly yeah. of nineteenth 1900s yeah. art. Yeah. No one can hear this Wu Tang album. I bought it. I own it. And Fuck I'm you. Keeping it forever. And uh, yeah, no gang gang for y'all. So she opens the Stewart Gallery in 1903. She basically builds a castle and she's like, I'm going to put my art in this castle and everyone's going to come look at it. But first, I'm going to throw a huge party. I'm going to It's like in the middle of the downtown Boston. Yeah. And it's a stodgy castle too. If you go, if you can okay. do like the tour, the walkthrough, like the virtual walkthroughs of it, and it's a very stodgy place as well. I've been there a number of times, and it it never changes. It's kind of icky, but she decides that her collection will be open to the public. But first, she will throw a giant party. She'll have chamber music, and she's very concerned about the acoustics in this building. And so she does get some children. Um, she doesn't want anyone to see the arts, so she brings in a group of blind orphans. To listen to the acoustics in the building and tell her Wait, if the building sounds okay. No. Yes. What? I told you she's a monster. She can't. Oh my God. She's a monster. She can't find an orphan to adopt, but she can find a room full of blind orphans. Yes. Who know good acoustics when they hear it. Well, she, she's <laughs> got, she has someone who, some, some chamber musicians who have been contracted to secrecy. Um, I don't, maybe she put tape over their eyes. I don't know. But these blind orphans are the only people allowed yeah. to go in. Must have memorized the sheet music. Yeah, it's really bad. So she opens it to the public and, um, you know, I, I'm unable to find any particular fanfare about the event itself. Uh, I, I don't, maybe it wasn't memorable enough for people, but she decides that the collection will be exhibited publicly in perpetuity forever, unable to be altered at all. The endowment closes and the museum goes away. If they move anything, sell anything, buy anything, like even the furniture, if you go there today, the furniture that was there when those blind orphans walked through is still in the same places. They're not allowed to move anything. Wait, so so literally, if if the government said your museum isn't ADA compliant and you have to change this hallway and move this furniture, they would lose their endowment. I believe that that is accurate. Yes. 
So you can see why it's maybe not a good museum. Yeah, it's just a rich mad woman's mm -hmm. fever dream. Yeah, so this was her, her answer to the loop. Okay. And it was going to stay this way forever. And it stipulates that nothing can be moved or sold. And as a result, you know, you'll go to other museums. Uh, like the Met has a permanent collection. The Guggenheim has a permanent collection. The Cleveland Museum has a permanent collection. But then they'll move stuff around sometimes. They'll shuffle something out of storage, bring something up, have a little special exhibit for something. And it, it brings in new visitors. It's pretty hard to go to the, the museum and see the same thing over and over and over again. I don't, I'm not sure that people want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, people often refer to the museum as musty. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming they move things around to clean behind them. I don't think it's actually musty, but I think that... Right, they can move them back. Yeah, they have to move <laughs> it right back. So it's, uh, it's sitting right there. No seasonally rotating exhibits. Also, this is a huge, it's a huge problem for crime if you're going to walk in and do a smash and grab at an art museum. Because everything has been there forever. You know exactly where to go. Yeah, you've gone and you've paced out how long it's going to take you to run from painting A to painting B. I, I mean, you know, it, there's not going to be any surprises at the Elizabeth Stewart Gardner Museum. You know exactly which ones to steal. <laughs> right, right. Yep. Wow. Okay. And so, and she set all this up like a hundred years before the, the actual theft. It was bound to happen. Well, you know, that's one of the things that people say, rumors around um, art history, I don't, I don't want to say detectives, I guess art history novices. You hear rumors that people talked about, well, the gardener, if you're going to, you're going to smash and grab, that's the place to do it. A lot of famous art thieves later came out and said, uh, I would have robbed it. I just didn't get around to it. It was always going to be there. It was the last one on my list. I, I just didn't. These guys beat me to the punch, you know. Right, right. Everybody knew the gardener wasn't going away. Right. So there was really no, it wasn't like, oh, the ah. Mona Lisa's traveling for the only time. I'm going to get it off the airplane. It was, well, it's all right there. Right, so. right, right. Um, so as a result, uh, the Gardner Museum was not insured. All you'd have to do would be wear a fake mustache and waltz in. This is an important, this is an important thing. If a museum doesn't have a very large budget because it can't bring in new works, it can't sell existing works. It can't host traveling exhibits. It's living off of this endowment. What kind of staffing is it going to have? I mean, from a logistic perspective. Right. They it's, were probably lucky to have these two stoner music students. Nobody else wanted to work there. I mean, I, I don't imagine the pay was good. Right. This is supposed to be the cream of the crop that would do the graveyard. Yeah. I mean, you talk yeah. about working great. It's graveyard shit. It's rough. I've, I've worked those. Yeah, me too. So it's um, it's a rough thing. So so the way art sales work is they're on the scarcity model. Mm. I kind of like to talk about gold being on a scarcity model or diamonds, but really with art, it's on a scarcity model that is, it's at a higher documented level than a lot of natural resources. So we think we might be running out of oil. Right. But we know for sure we are out of Rembrandts. There aren't going to be any more. They're all documented. We know where they are. Yes. No new Rembrandts coming out next year. Rembrandt isn't a corporation. He was a guy. Yeah. Because of the way we keep track of art, which is a thing called a provenance. Yeah. So your provenance is, um, so I sell you a painting and then you sell it to, mm -hmm. I don't know, Sally Muck and Futz down the road. Sally Muck and Futz has a little transfer title from Dan. Says, I bought it from Captain Dan. Dan says, oh, I bought it from Ray the Painter. And she painted it on such and such date in 
you know, Cleveland, Ohio. And that's the provenance of the painting. So we keep these for, for, for art. It has a running title. It's like a cryptocurrency. It's like a blockchain. It's got its own blockchain. Yes. I remember when I told you, uh, like more than a year ago that NFTs yeah. <laughs> was just art fraud, but digital. And you laughed at me. You get it now? Yes, I absolutely. I get it now. Okay, I'm following. I finally, I finally figured out how to explain it to you. Holy shit, it's coming together. So when art gets stolen, it's usually insured. And then the insurance holder, the Prudential or Sotheby's or whoever the insurer is, takes provenance. They take the title for the painting. They pay the museum or the private collector, whoever's had the art stolen from them, the market value for the painting, then it becomes the insurance company's problem to try to recover the painting later. Okay, so insurance constitutes the sale of an artwork, which makes it explicitly against the rules at the Gardner Museum. They're not insured at all. There's no insurance. Okay, oh wow. Nothing. They're not, they have no insurance because they don't want to lose what pittance they're getting from... It won't matter. They can't benefit from losing it. Yeah. So typically, the way this works then in art theft is you make money stealing art. So I bust into the museum, I steal the painting. The museum goes to the insurance company, collects money on the painting. Then the insurance company hopes the painting is recovered. Maybe they they catch me later, they find it, uh, I've abandoned it somewhere, or I sold it to someone and they got caught. The insurance company takes takes ownership, right? They get it. They get to have the painting. Now, Now they get to sell it. So they get to make their money back. So usually art theft works out to benefit everyone. Right. Because of art inflation. Line goes up. Every time it gets stolen, all of the other paintings made by that person also raise in value. Mm -hmm. Also inflate. So, So really, every time there's an art heist, everybody benefits. Everybody. So line goes up, line goes up, line goes up. Infamous, missing, rediscovered, formerly stolen art. Increases in value, great story, recovered, sell it at auction quick while it's fresh in people's memories and they want it really bad, you know? Why is the Mona Lisa so famous? Yeah. You know the joke, right? I don't. The Mona Lisa is so valuable because it's been stolen so many times. That's it. Oh, really? That's it. That's why it's so precious. That's the joke. That's the joke. It's just just been, been stolen over and over and over and over again. The more you steal it, the more valuable it's perceived to be. Everybody wants it. Then, then you sell it for more money, then the real value actually rises. So it's a um, perception game. So typically the art world does everything it can wow. to keep prices going up. So they'll look the other way when something's stolen. They'll refuse to certify a painting that looks like it may actually be a, a real lost masterwork because they don't want to drive the value mm-hmm. of the other masterworks down. There's a lot of interest in keeping prices going up. Line goes up, line goes up, line goes up. No, nobody wants to be at the bottom of this bubble. So you would hate to be at that museum that didn't have insurance and get left as the bag holder, right? Yeah, yeah. That would suck. That would be devastating, to say the least. Yeah. So the Gardner robbers in 1990, they grabbed 13 uh, separate pieces. 12 of those pieces all come from the same room. 13 paintings. 13, well, it's a selection of paintings, drawings, then the vase and the finial. So they just took a room? They basically took a bunch of stuff from a room. So from the room where most of the art was located, um, they, they take three Rembrandts. 
Okay, so the three Rembrandt is the most stolen artist. Okay, well, that's going to be worth something. Yes, everybody loves to steal a Rembrandt. So they take three Rembrandts. Uh, they take a Vermeer. Yeah, yeah. They take a Flink. They take five Degas sketches. Edgar Degas. Yeah, Edgar Degas, yes. They take the vase, the Chinese vase, yeah. um, from that room, and also the bronze finial, uh, the flag finial. That's the, the flag topper. There's a portrait painted by Edward Manet, and that comes from a different room. So, questions about the art. The vase makes no sense. It's bolted, so you actually have to do a lot of work to like unfold. They didn't take the whole table. They just took the art off of it, but it was screwed down. They unbolted a vase from the table. Yeah, it's like an ironwork vase. Like so they, okay, so they had they brought wrenches. They brought wrenches to undo the bolts. The theory is somebody wanted that for some reason. They'd seen it before. They decided that was a really good one. Or maybe maybe someone said specifically, if you knock over the gardener, I'll buy that vase if you can get it, right? Who knows? Right. There was a market for it. <laughs> okay. So we think the vase was ordered. The eagle finial is totally inexplicable. Uh, maybe it's bronze, but maybe they thought it was solid gold or something. <laughs> it's hard to know. You're right. I mean, they're wearing fake mustaches, so it's hard for me to give these guys a lot of credit. The eagle just really spoke to one of them, like, whoa. It's a Napoleonic thing. It, it's cool. Maybe they thought it was cool. Have you seen this eagle? Bro, I have this eagle. I got to show it to you. You will not believe it. This is some Napoleonic shit, bro. The Napoleon the first commissioned this eagle, bro. First. First. The first Napoleon. First As if anybody even knows about the other Napoleons. I didn't, don't even get me started. It's amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, as an, as, an, as an amateur art historian, my my master's degree is, is in anthropology with a focus in art history, but not in art history specifically. Right. When someone first told me, and this bronze finial from the top of the flag, I'm like, but why? They're like, yeah, everybody. But why? Everybody laughs about this. So the Manet portrait is really interesting because it's in a different room. And they have in 1990 at least some key card access to unlock the doors. So one painting from a different room. One painting from a different room. So the last person, according to the security system, was one of the night guards to open that with his key card. So he swiped in access earlier that evening and walked through that room. Now, whether the door was just left open, did he take the painting? Did that painting not go with the cops? Did he... Take it somewhere, nobody really knows. Yeah. So there's a little bit of confusion about that. So the Rembrandts are, the big Rembrandts is called Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. And as I mentioned before, it's his only known seascape. It had to have been worth a ton of money, but you run into this thing where if you're trying to resell something that famous, I don't really know how you do that. Um, like I said, how much money is there in Saudi Arabia? You sell it to someone who has an untold fortune, who's willing to put it in a basement for 30 years and then maybe find a patsy to resell it later. I don't know. The uh, Govert Flink is a landscape with obelisk. I think that could have probably been resold pretty easily. Um, the Degas drawings were, it was five chalk drawings on paper. I think um, there's enough Degas sketches out there. You could probably slide those into a private collection and you know you got it for free so like really you know you don't need to get market value for it right 
Um, so some of these things to me feel saleable and some of them just don't. Um, Vermeer's The Concert is enormously famous. There's absolutely no way you could take that anywhere and have someone not recognize that it's a Vermeer. It's so uh, Vermeer for um, those listening. Vermeer is the fellow who did the girl with the pearl earring. Okay. Yeah, I know that one. Uh, the concert is a pair of women in similar dress. One is playing a sort of a guitar with a big fat round backside. It's not quite a lute, but it's not one of those triangle guitars either. Um, sort of a Dutch um, mandolin looking type thing. And it's got the, the Dutch black and white checkered floor. It's got the Vermeer lighting. You would look at it and say, oh, even if you didn't know about art, you would look at that and say, oh, I've seen, did, is that the pearl earring guy? Like you would just know. Um, we've seen so much of his work. So, yeah, you know, some yeah. of these, it's just impossible to believe that the point was reselling. So a lot of people um, immediately jumped to, well, it must have been an insurance job. You know, because we talked about how insurance gets the gets the market hopping. Um, but with the gardener not having insurance, that kind of becomes like, uh, you know, what do you do? So they they shake down all of these people. Uh, known art thieves. There was a guy who said he did it, but it turns out he was in jail for another art theft while this was going on. Right. Um, so it wasn't him. He just he's got a mouth. He's an interesting fella. Um He's featured quite bigly. Just stirring the pot. Yeah. And he's featured in the Netflix documentary, uh, This is a Robbery. And they're like, why'd you say you did it? He's like, I don't know. And he laughs. It's like, because this is a joke to this guy. You know, he's, uh, his whole thing is stealing paintings. He thinks it's funny. Because you would believe me. I, I, I said it because you be- would believe me. Like, Well, I always, I always tell people. I always tell people sometimes I say shit that's not true because it's funny. Like that's called telling a joke. People do it all the time. (laughs) So they ask him about it. He says, you know, I could never, I would have never stolen those. I couldn't, I couldn't resell that. So a lot of these art thieves who may have gone to like a private buyer somewhere in the underground market, um, they're not really good contenders for this. So everyone starts to look at the, um, the two museum guards and see what was an inside job. You know, these guys, they did all kinds of weird stuff. Like they left doors open. They just let these guys walk in. They were already troublemakers, you know, eating mushrooms and playing music in the basement, you know. Right. They they, got a couple of their drug buddies to tie them up. Yeah. The FBI has been all over these poor guys and they can't. There's nothing. Um, So the FBI swoops in. The museum does what the museum would always do. They have a press conference. They announce. Oh, we've lost the masterwork, these, this collection, blah, horrible. They get a bunch of people to donate money. They put a big reward up. And guess what happens, Dan? People flock to the museum. They flock to the museum. Oh, 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 now people will want to come to the museum. They're still flocking to the museum. They still come to this day to see where the art used to be. Actually, the frames are still there on the wall where the paintings used to be. Because with Elizabeth Stewart Gardner's weird egomaniacal rules. People are going to see the empty frames. Yes. Yeah, what? because what? the only option, okay, you have to understand, because of the um, severity of the museums. Their hand, yeah, their hands are tied. <laughs> they, can have, um, they can have a big, giant, empty room 
where they can have a room with some frames in it because um, they can't put anything new there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, wow. Now, the Elizabeth Stewart Garden Museum is a much bigger tourist attraction than it would have been in 1990. As of, I think, a year or two ago, there was still a $10 million reward available for anyone with um, anyone with any information leading to these uh, arrests, but nobody's found anything. And the FBI has assigned and unassigned and forgotten about this case over and over again, despite the alleged value of all these things. You'd think they would be that they and Interpol would be all over this. But um, it seems that everyone is benefiting quite happily from not having these paintings in the museum. And so on it goes. Um, you know, conspiracy theories have ranged from, um, you know, your standard art thieves to the Irish mob to the Italian mafia. Um, they've all got they've all got something to gain. Maybe um, in the nineties, people thought maybe it was the IRA and they were going to try to sell those paintings on the black market or trade them for weapons. Um, you have to remember in 1990, a couple of Mick cops with fake mustaches. Sounds like IRA to me. We still had, we still had car bombings in, in London and in Northern Ireland at the time. So that's true. No, the IRA was very active, very active in 1990 who are younger, maybe don't remember that, but really um, there was still a lot of, uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to, I'm going to call it freedom fighting at the time. For sure. For sure. It was uh, to say the least unrest. Unrest. I think that's probably the best term for it. So (laughs) there's a, and then there's, you know, this, this story about like, what was the insider? You know, you have to wonder if, if the, the night guards wanted to take something, maybe they wanted the vase and the finial. Or the finial and the manet. And they said, well, we'll, t- we'll steal all this other stuff and just throw it away so we can get away with these two we want, I guess. How tall was that night watchman? Did he have a Napoleon complex? I No, I just I think he's, he's, you can see him in the Netflix. Um, his name is uh, Randy Abbott. And you can see him in the- Abbott. Abbott, A-B-U-T-H, A-B-O-T-H. Um, the second night watchman has never revealed his name. Oh, he's been like, no, no, no. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> not want anything to do with this <laughs> at all. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to keep my career in the night watch business. This got out that I was a part of this. Yeah, he no, he he left. He quit. He like he's um, a trumpet player somewhere and doesn't want anybody to know who he is. He He definitely stole that mayonnaise. No, for sure. Like it's in his his parlor. (laughs) If and when he gives interviews, it's like, um, you know, behind a screen and his voice is disguised and things like he'll talk, but he won't let anybody know who he is. So to this day, we don't know that guy's name. Abbott, though, we do know. And, um, you know, he just, uh, he looks bad because he was the last person to open that door. I don't know. You know, it's an interesting. So the more I thought about all this, um, and I find art theft hilarious. I find the entire way that the fine art world works, uh, it's so gross and shady. And it's it works at the deficit to people like me who are working artists, who really are just trying to make paintings that people can enjoy. I mean, I think of myself as someone who produces something for others to enjoy. I want to bring beauty to the world. And it grosses me out 
what the upper echelon. When people connect with art, it's a very beautiful thing. But do you really do you really think that Van Gogh's sunflowers is worth forty five million dollars? No, not per not personally. I'll buy the the twenty dollar poster. Thank you. It's not. It's not worth. It's it's worth that because art functions as a cartel in the same way that De Beers functions as a diamond cartel, and it's icky. Right. So I have personal beef with the whole uh, upper echelons of the fine art world, and and there's uh boy, the the, the shady dealings go so far and so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, a, it's an astonishingly filthy business. Um, I don't know. You know, you, you, the more I looked at it and the more I laughed at it, because at first I found it funny, you know, it's like, ha, ha, museum got ripped off. Right, and, right. It's kind of cartoonish. Yeah, fake mustaches. Yeah. Stoners tied up in the basement, peeing their pants. Ah, it's funny. I mean, the whole thing was funny. And then, woohoo. Yeah. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought like everybody gets to win here. Everybody still gets to win, except the people who maybe wanted to have a chance to go look at some beautiful art. And and those people, the public, are the people who lose out. And that's garbage. Personally, I don't think the Louvre did it as revenge. I don't think London's National Gallery did it as revenge. I don't even think the mob did it. If it was the mob thing, it would be, it would have to be like, I want these things. Okay, but why would they be doing revenge? For winning the auction? Yeah, because she because she outbid them on a number of occasions and then okay. refused to lend the work, refused to let anyone see the work. You know, well, the big galleries, they, they must have commissioned this job or they did it. I don't think so. And I think the, the Louvre and the National Museum in London both put up money as reward for this thing mm. to maybe get resolved. So they were. Yeah, they were fine with that. Yeah, I'm not really sure that they would have been, um, you know, the guilty party. I honestly don't even think that the IRA or the Italian mob did it because these are largely unsellable works. Right. It'd have to be pretty particular. Like, I want that that topper, that flag topper. I want it. And I want that vase. I want them for my den. Yeah, I think it was. A, I think it was just a shitty smash and grab. I mean, these guys came in fake mustaches. I, I can't get over that. That will. I will laugh about that forever. But like. Yeah. When you look at when you look at conspiracy, sometimes the conspiracy isn't who did it or why they did it. It's why we haven't figured this out. And I think that like some other conspiracies that have happened, the Garner Museum got caught with its pants down. I think some rank fucking amateurs came in and did a smash and grab. I think they did a great job. They clearly cased the joint yeah. well. They knew what yeah. to do with the night people. I wouldn't be surprised if they knew the night watchmen somehow. Um, the night watchmen were known to let people in to deliver pizza. People had been in and out of this museum after hours. Right. People knew. So like, I think they got caught with their pants down and it was this huge embarrassment. But I think the real conspiracy here is that the FBI hasn't followed through. The Boston police weren't allowed to do anything because the FBI insisted it was their problem. The Gardner Museum has done nothing but benefit. Mm. The art world has done nothing but benefit. Every museum that owns a Vermeer, a Rembrandt, a Degas, you know, uh, a Frank, all of these museums, their Mm -hmm. collections just got an insurance boost. Everybody's winning. Yeah. So like people talk about like, you know, well, what are some conspiracies in fine art? I'm like, the real conspiracies are what they don't do. They don't go and solve a problem or they don't go and try to recover something. Right. Not what happened. What isn't happening. Yeah. So I think it because it benefits the 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 disgusting, filthy art world at large, here we are. And here's the really sad part. There are only like 
two color photography plates of this Rembrandt seascape. I've never seen it. I've, I, I've never seen it in color. I've only ever seen it in black and white because that's how it's printed in my Janssen's art history book, which is the, the big standard. I have the Janssen and the Gardner art history books and it's in black and white on both. So for a lot of us, wow. even we'll never have a chance to really see. And like, there's a, you can see a photo of it on the internet. Um, it's as beautiful as you would expect it to be. And um, you get the impression that it was large too. So, I mean, this was, I mean, it was a hell of a job. Kudos to, um, to Snidely Whiplash. Oh, wow. I mean, do you think that these fine paintings still exist somewhere? Or do you think they were like, well, can't fence it, just burn it? Fuck it, I don't know. I think they're going to resurface. Yeah? I think they will resurface after the current directorial and curatorial staff from Gardner has uh, gone to rejoin the force, as it were. I think they will resurface. I think that... I think that someone will, I think someone will, um, they'll resurface and here's, and here's my other thought that someone will defer the $10 million reward and will redonate that money back to the Gardner Museum and we will be back at square one. So that's my big, that's my big Gardner heist conspiracy. I'm wondering, I, I love it. It's a wonderful tale. And I'm wondering immediately if, if this museum has people coming to visit an empty room where the paintings frames are still hung. That's a much more compelling story than these are the art. These are the paintings we recovered. I'm thinking they destroyed the paintings. Well, I think that's possible. Maybe not all of them, but the ones that wouldn't be sellable. I mean, I think the, yeah, I think the long-term value is like, this is where it used to be and our hands are tied. So we have to show you this empty room. I think that's way more interesting. If I'm a tourist in Boston, come on. Now you want to go see the empty room. I only have time for two art museums today. Well, I want the gardener to be one of it because they got that badass heist that happened with the cops with the cartoony mustaches and the pothead fucking college guards. It's amazing. It's really amazing. Um, the, the, the amount of storytelling that happens around it, too, is... I mean, anybody listening could go just Google Gardner Art Heist podcast and you'll have yeah. hundreds of choices. You can have the short version, the mm. long version. You can get interviews without interviews. You can get interactive podcasts where you can see the art and walk through the museum in 3D. Like, I mean, it's it's its own um, tourist trap now in its own way. We're never, <laughs> we're never seeing that Vermeer again. That Vermeer is gone. That Rembrandt is gone. It's a tragedy. And it's really, it's too bad. Vermeer's concert, it was considered one of his masterworks. It was considered one of his best pieces. And um, it's a real shame. I think that one of the things um, about destroying art, though, I think it's pretty hard for people to destroy art. There were stories that uh, somebody had it. There's rumors somebody had it. And, you know, the guy had it in some kind of, container in florida some mobster and had it buried in his backyard the fbi went there and dug it up they didn't find anything and someone else said oh I, I saw the vermeer my my friend's brother's ex-wife's house and it, it was behind a door like hiding like you know people say but i think that's much more likely whoever ended up with those things um if you've ever seen some of these they're called masterworks for a reason they really are um 
they're done with a technique and a style and with materials that don't exist today any longer. And to see them, I don't know. I just don't know. You hear these stories about the art thief that was ripping up the Picasso and trying to flush it down the toilet while the cops were coming. Like, you could look that guy up. That really happened. But um, I think that's rare. You don't have to sell <laughs> fine art to me. I, I love going to museums. Like, I just went to Ireland. I went to the, the Dublin Museum of Art and the Galway Museum. Like, I'm checking out the fine art. Uh, uh, but I think there are plenty of people that have no appreciation for art, and they're like, you want me to destroy this 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 painting? Sure. Done. No problem. I have no appreciation for art. Fuck it. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the romantic in me that... Even the hardest of people would look at something that, that Rembrandt had made with his craft and his skills and say, yeah, I destroyed it. And it would be like uh, the hunter not really killing uh, uh, Snow White in the forest. You roll it up and shove it in his shirt and take it home, you know? Uh, maybe, but probably not. You're probably right, and I'm probably wrong. You don't think there's some guy out there that's like, I fucking torched a Rembrandt, man. <laughs> Bro? Bro, for real, I destroyed a Rembrandt. Me, fucking me. Ah! Some there's some Fuck fucking heartless monster out there. You, you know what? I'm you're Dan. You are probably right, and I am probably wrong. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. I just um, I do think that I do think that some of it will resurface, though. Um, I think it'll be after yeah. everyone involved has moved on and is no longer uh, sharing our earthly plane, and I think that. It will be a huge triumph, and you know I don't know. I don't know what um, what would become of some of it. I think there's. It's likely that it will resurface for the right price. I hope you're right. I hope Isabella Gardner has her dream restored. Oh, I know. That's the other part of it. Some part of me, some part Room. of me, just hates her <laughs> so much that I want them to never be recovered, so that. Wherever, where, whatever cold, miserable part of hell she's in, she can just be angry about it because she really was. She, by all by all accounts, a terrible person. I did everything to keep that museum the same. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're, you know, part of me. I'd be happy if her museum is never made whole again. I guess I can agree with that. But oh well, thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that uh, conspiracy with us, Ray. I really enjoy that one, and I think. I think there's a, a lot of truth in what you're talking about uh, in the art world. Uh, the more I've learned about the finance world. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you really want to, you really want to take a trip down the rabbit hole, look up Salvador Mundi. That's a, that's a pretty fascinating. And there's another, there's a great, um, there's a great Netflix. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. I think it used to be a documentary called who the fuck is Jackson Pollock. And it's a, um, one shot, like a two hour documentary that talks about why it's so hard to get art certified as being original, even if it's passed, you know, sort of chemical tests and, you know, it seems to be authentic, why there's an unwillingness to do that. Um, having some background in what happens with art that's lost, that reappears or new art that's discovered by old masters really oh. helps to kind of bracket this whole gardener thing because that's one of the things that makes the Gardner heist so odd um, that no one's done anything about it, that no one's 
uh, people are like, well, why? Why wouldn't they look? Why wouldn't they try to recover these paintings? I'm like, well, yeah, you kind of bracket this with some extra knowledge about the art world. They they have no financial incentive to recover these paintings. There's a lot of incentive. Follow the money. Follow the money. Yeah. You know, I did just recently, I don't remember which artist it was, but they, an AI has confirmed, uh, I think it was a Raphael. AI has confirmed that a painting that art historians had said was done by one of his apprentices. The AI says it's 99% certain it's, it's Raphael. And I looked at the two paintings and I was like, it looks like the same dude to me. What's, but what's happening, what, there's a lot more to it than just that, though. What's happening with that painting? I don't know. I don't remember the... Uh, but now that we've had this discussion, I'm realizing, like, there's a lot of implications to if that's a Raphael or not. And that's maybe why art historians are like, no, no, no it's The Apprentice. The AI could be flawed. It's never going to be certified. They're going to say, and I, and I, got, I got $5 and quarters to do laundry with next week that says... <laughs> it's never going to be certified in Raphael. <laughs> they're going to say, the first thing they're going to say is um, to trust a computer over a human expert. So that'll be the first thing. You're right. How dare you? How dare you, sir? How dare you? I mean, it will, okay. <laughs> Fisticuffs. They'll say, well, there's no, um, there's no reference to this, to this being a Raphael. So that will mean there's no mention of it in Raphael's journals. Right. Dear Diary, I did a really badass painting of... Yeah, Dear Diary, that painting I did yesterday, I peed on it yeah. and threw it away. Right. There's no... So they'll say that. Then they'll say, um, well, we could certify it, but if we do, um, we would have to certify these 25 others that are demanding to be certified. Mm. And we certainly couldn't make that effort. Um, those will be their top three responses. Yeah. Then if they still get shut down, someone still pressures, um, someone will certify it quietly, quote, without provenance, which means it won't have the title, the blockchain to go with it. It's not on the blockchain. It will yeah. get sold. It will get sold to a museum like um, the Guggenheim in Spain or the Bilbao or it'll be done in um, the United Arab Emirates. And it will be hung in a room with other Raphaels, but it will be labeled um, presumed Raphael. And then it will be valued at an insurance level lower. Presumed. And that will eventually be their compromise. They'll let it in, but they'll let it into a less than world museum. They will label it a, a assumed or suspected. Less than world-class museum. When I say that, what I mean is a non-European museum. Do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm saying? Brown people museum. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's how the art world is. Right, and, right, and I'm not, right. I'm not mad like about gonna... saying it. I have no, no. concerns whatsoever. Um, but they'll say, well, it's, it's, um, it's suspected. It's, it's that open in the art world. Right. And so they will, they will say um, it's a suspected. They'll let it in. It will be shown. People will see it. People will love it. But it will be valued less. And it will, they will do some damage control to retain the value of the existing Raphaels without actually having to officially certify it and hang it at the National Gallery of London or the Louvre or the Goob, you know, it'll be, they'll eventually cave probably, but they'll make those three arguments first. And so I'm assuming the argument you made earlier with how much money is in Saudi Arabia, you were referring to anything that's that, well, for the sake of argument is a Raphael, but can't be certified a Raphael. It's going to get sold to the Middle East. There's some, some oil chic or their kid is going to want to buy it. 
Right. Let me tell you, let me tell you something about, let me tell you something about the oil sheiks though. The oil sheiks are super good investors. These guys are really smart and they do something that European art investors don't do. And they play the long game. European arts investors like to buy something at auction for tons of money, trumpet it, make a bunch of uh, fanfare about it, do a video documentary on it and put it in their gallery or their art museum. The Saudis, they have endless money, bottomless pits, smog the dragon gold piles of money, and they're willing to play the long game. They're a dynasty. They're a dynasty. They're not European. They are a dynasty. They're thinking, yeah, I'm buying this for my great, great, great grandchildren. Great, 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 great grandchildren. And so the Saudis own Salvador Mundi, which is this uh, Da Vinci painting that Noah wants to certify as a Da Vinci. They bought it for a song and a dance at Da Vinci prices, and they put it in their museum. Well, now it's being talked about like, well, it's probably a Da Vinci. The Louvre said, we would like to um, exhibit Salvador Mundi. Will you lend it to us? And I believe it's in the United Arab Emirates, their <laughs> national gallery. Oh, yeah, it gets better. So the uh, the Emirates <laughs> say to the Louvre, yeah, we'll let you borrow it, but you have to hang it next to the Mona Lisa. <laughs> right, right. Because it's got this tainted, it's got this tainted provenance. So we want you put it next to the big one. Right. So that it gets the respect. Put it, yeah, the most famous, please. Put it next to the most famous. The Louvre said, no, we can't do that, but we'll put it on the wall on the, on the other side of the room. And you know what they said? Fuck you. No painting Fuck for you. you. <laughs> Fuck you. So it's not, it's not come to Europe. It's not going to come to Europe because the Europeans, so there's a stalemate and the Saudis are like, we're cool. The, Arab, the Emirates, they're like, we'll wait. We have all the time. We're a dynasty. We can wait for generations. The European art world will crumble. In its own <laughs> NFT mess. And you know who will be there with the best paintings? It's going to be the Saudis, the Emirates, the, the Iranians. They're all, they're going to open their museums up and the Europeans are going to rush in. And suddenly that European provenance isn't going to matter any longer. They're going to wait them out. Yeah. Which is great. Um, Mohammed bin Sal of Saudi Arabia, I believe, bought the Jackson Pollock in the Who the Fuck is Jackson Pollock? A Jackson Pollock is going to cost you $6 million at the scale that this was a huge painting. He paid a, a third of what it would have been valued at had it been authenticated. He put it in a vault. The lady who, he's, who he bought it from is allowed to go and visit it whenever she wants. She's like, when are you going to hang it up? And he's like, oh, you know. It's part of the purchase. Yeah. yeah. He, he, goes, he goes, I'll hang it up whenever, whenever they say it's a real Jackson Pollock. You and I both know it's a Jackson Pollock. I'll hang it up when I'm ready to. We know it is. And someday he will. <laughs> and then he'll turn around and he'll sell it for the inflated price of, you know, $11 billion and a goat load of Diet Coke. I mean, whatever. It, it just is what it is. So the, um, but they're going to, they're going to wait these people out. So who knows? I do think it's possible that some of these gardener thefts ended up in vaults somewhere in the Middle East. Those guys are willing to wait. They're just waiting. Yeah. They have the money and the time yeah. and they have a different, they have a different perspective on collecting art than Europeans have. So I think there's, yeah. Although honestly, I do think it's possible that you're right. And you know somebody torched somebody it somebody torched it 
<laughs> hey, were you guys there when I used the flaming arrow to torch that Rembrandt? Yeah. Um, <laughs> remember, remember, remember when I drank that case of cores and torched that Rembrandt? You guys remember that fucking great night? Someone was playing the someone was playing the final countdown, and a and a flaming arrow got shot out of a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> I got, you guys watch Terry's gonna do it he's gonna fucking do it don't do it Terry don't do it Terry won a Rembrandt zero zero yeah. it's so bad yeah. it is yeah. so bad Oh. But it's possible. So, yeah. So that's the, I don't know how much of that, that last uh, amount of insanity you want to keep. I'm a fountain of um, weird shit about art. So. Oh, that's, fin- no, that, that's, that's the juicy stuff. That's the good stuff. Well, the, the, yeah, the good stuff. That's the original content right there, right? <laughs> well, you know, the, um, you know what a free port is, right? No. Tell me. A free port. A free port is like a duty free zone, uh, but it's like a duty free warehouse where you store shit. And as long as anything gets bought and sold inside the Freeport, it doesn't get taxed until it leaves the Freeport. It's like a duty-free campsite right. for stuff. Warehouse. Trading warehouse. A trading warehouse. A lot of these. So, like, uh, this would be the, if you were playing a D&D game, this would be, uh, you know, the, the, mm. the weird, the basement where you sell the wares that aren't listed on the actual menu of wares in the tavern special things right 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 yeah so a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of stolen art and a lot of um trafficked art ends up in free ports where it sometimes exchanges hands eight nine ten times this is where you do your money laundering if i've got some ill-gotten ill-gotten cash and i want to buy one of your paintings i get you to put it in a free port i buy it there with the you know and then i sell it three or four more times in that free port and the money gets clean while it's in there then I leave and you leave and everybody's happy. And someone gets a nice painting and we all get this inflated NFT style price. Wow. Wow. So Freeports are yeah, they're a conspiracy in and of themselves. It's uh pretty fascinating. Well we'll have to we'll have to talk again uh, about Freeports for sure. For sure. I know. People ask me, they're like, why did you why did you quit the New York art world? And I'm like, oh, if you only knew. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, we're gonna get you back on again, Ray, if you'll if you'll come. Yeah, we'll do some we can do some more art. When you get when you want to do some more art conspiracies, pick a topic. I'll find you a conspiracy there because it's uh the world is full of them. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Thank you again. This has been been an amazing uh lesson and journey into the art world that uh I I did not know about uh, <laughs> either the Gardner Museum heist nor the state of uh, art affairs in, currently going on. And I hope uh, our, our listeners have learned a thing or two. I know I have. Uh, thank you again. It's been it's been a real pleasure having you. And uh, uh, thanks, everybody, for sticking around to the end. And we'll be back at you soon with another Conspiracy History. Da-na-na-na. Da-na-na-na-na. <laughs> <laughs>